Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus will tell you everything. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace be to the whole community and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Kids are dismissed to King's Quest. Good morning, Grace. My name is Eric Balmer. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and it is my privilege uh, to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Uh, Heavy times, heavy passage here. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, In in Mark 6, uh, Jesus, he sends out his disciples And he gives them authority over unclean spirits. And they come back and they report to Jesus um, that they had cast out demons in his name. Now, I've always had a a hard time with with passages like that. And I think that if I sort of do do a psychology of myself, there's a couple reasons. Um, when I was a kid, I was raised, uh, I wasn't raised in the church, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and we had a family that moved in, 
and they were Christians. And, and one of the guys became my good friend. And he started telling me about Jesus and, and about the Gospels. And he told me about demons. And I was intrigued by demons. You know, and who, who wouldn't be? And so he started telling me about, you know, possession and things like that. And I remember asking him, well, can they, can they possess my G.I. Joes? And he's like, yeah, they can. <laughs> um, so I actually remember um, being really afraid for a long time, very fearful. And I remember one night laying in my bed and looking down on the floor and seeing the guy that carried this really big gun and he had a blonde beard, which I remember thinking was weird at the time. Um, and, and I remember thinking, He's, he might be possessed. <laughs> and, and I was really afraid. I was freaked out. And so I think that as I age and as I grew, um, I sort of in, inadvertently kind of developed this sort of skeptical posture towards anything having to do with demons and devils and spiritual forces. Um, I, just, I just didn't really want anything to do with that. And also, if you just think about the, the, the world in which we live in, just culturally speaking, you know, when you hear a story like that, you think it's, well, this is kind of primitive and superstitious and, you know, because we're shaped by scientific naturalism. You know, we live in a world that's a closed system of causes and effects, and it's entirely explainable by, you know, the resources of the natural sciences. Heaven really doesn't have a say. It lacks any kind of explanatory power. In, in his book, uh, The Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis says, look, when you're thinking about uh, demons, we have two fundamental errors that come up when we think about demons. And um, he says, one is to disbelieve in their existence. He says, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And I think that as we enter a passage today, which talks about these spiritual forces, the powers, sometimes we can take that posture to it. Um, in fact, in my life, I've always loved the book of Ephesians. But to be honest, I've, I've typically given the last bit of Ephesians, the text for today, kind of a cursory reading. The, this text, however, though, is not just a mere appendix to the book of Ephesians. It's actually the climax of the letter, and it's the rhetorical conclusion of what Paul's driving at. So let's rehearse uh, the narrative of Ephesians um, briefly to see how it's sort of the climax and rhetorical conclusion of the letter. Um, I don't know if you've done this. Uh, my sister did Ancestry.com, and there's other things like that. And um, so I, I benefited from getting her. You know, she paid the hundred bucks, but I got the results. <laughs> and um, so I was I was intrigued to find out about you know ancestry.com, and I was hoping that I'd have something kind of spicy in there. And it came up 100% Northern European. Um, so, but oh well. Um, anyways. Uh, uh, there's this sort of, uh, you know, interest in these kinds of things. There's nothing bad with that. But Paul begins his letter um, in Ephesians 1 and 3 and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy 
and blameless before him in love. What Paul is doing here is tracing our true ancestry. Our true ancestry is traceable to eternity past and the love and plan of God to rescue and redeem you, the church. People, church, you are not a mere accident of birth. You are not defined by your place of birth. Your true ancestry is traceable in eternity past to the love of God for you who has destined you to be holy and blameless. That's a good way to start a letter. Paul moves on in in chapter 2 and he gives this litany of the spiritual uh, blessings that we have in Christ. Um, If you were just to sort of, you know, let your eyes go through the text in chapter 1, I just wrote a few of the things. Paul says that we're holy and that we're blameless. He says that we've been adopted in love. Paul says that we've been, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness. We have an inheritance, an imperishable inheritance. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we've been made alive together with Christ. He moves on in chapter 2 to talk about the creation of this new humanity. Uh, uh, Through the work of Christ, the hostility has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. And God has created a new humanity. And then the letter moves into sort of this rich ethical section in in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. This is the the, the ethical portion of the text. And Paul puts legs on and shows us what it means to grow up in Christ. All of the different things. Speaking the truth in love. Making every effort to, um, to, have, uh, to have unity. Uh, you know, get, get rid of anger, hostility. May your words be, uh, bring uh, grace to the hearers. Last week, uh, Daniel... Um, in this ethical section, Daniel showed us how even Paul saying how this goes into the household codes of the of the first century and what and, and how that affected the relationships between masters, slave, men, women, husband, wife. And then we have today's passage, which is this broad exhortation to put on the armor of God, to stand firm. So what I want to do is look at this broader cosmic uh, context that Paul's uh, bringing to light and, and sort of ask what it means for us, the church, and how we're supposed to live into that. Um, so, if you look at Ephesians 6, uh, go to Ephesians 6.10, and we have this broader cosmic per- perspective that Paul's calling us to. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand. In the ancient world, earthly events had heavenly parallels. 
And so for Paul, according to Ephesians, this is kind of a bizarre text. But for Paul, the author of the scriptures, you can't understand and you can't live rightly in this world unless you take into account the cosmic reality of which we're a part, which includes these powers. For Paul, reality includes these powers, and these powers, this he uses this language of we live in the present age, and the present age is marked by these powers, and they're these supra-human cosmic powers, supra, S-U-P-R-A, okay, um, I there's, there seems to be a distinction in the Bible between demons and angels and powers. I don't want to get into that, but, you know, a demon is a fallen angel. But there's also these powers, and there's, there are these supra-human powers. And they're in rebellion against God, and they're real. And they want to prevent God's good purposes for creation. And the powers prevent shalom. They oppress humanity. And they foster human idolatry. Now the Bible knows about personal sin. The Bible knows about institutional sin and institutional dysfunction. But the Bible also takes seriously this other dimension. It's this kind of a type of evil that is underneath and undergirds the other two types of of sin and evil. And it's a spiritual evil. And it's pervasive And it's dangerous. And Paul wants you to put on armor because there really is a battle. And this realm sort of functions in more of an indirect manner via sort of suggestion and temptation. Um, Now, there's a a painting um, that I think is helpful. Um, So this painting right here is by, um, I'm trying to get all John Anderson on you right now. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, there's a cathedral in Italy called the Orvieto Cathedral. And uh, the, the guy that made this fresco is called Luca Signorelli. And the, the, the name of this piece right here is called The Deeds of the Antichrist. Now, I'm not talking about that right now, but it's a, it's a good sort of representation of how this, this dynamic goes down. But if you look at this fresco, um, what, you, what you see there is there's the Antichrist and the devil. Okay, the devil is the horned one. Okay, and what you'll notice is that the devil's hand is in the vesture of the Antichrist. See that? Um, but it looks like it's the Antichrist's own hand. And I take it that What's, what that's meant to convey is the way in which the powers operate. It's this, they influence us and institutions and the world indirectly via suggestion. And we experience and see th- this through the, their effects. What Paul in this passage calls the wiles of the devil and the deceitful scheming now, how do we know when we're in the realm of, of this kind of darkness? Well, if you think about the names for the enemy, you have the devil. 
um, ha diabolos in the Greek. The, 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 the word for devil comes from, there's a Greek word called diabolain. That's the verb from which we get the name the devil. And the, the verb diabolain means to scatter. It means to cast apart, um, to throw apart. So scattering is a sign of the effects of the devil. If you see scattering, if you see um, breaking apart, that is the work of the devil. Um, Unity, community, bonds of peace, reconciliation, forgiveness. This is the sign and the work of the Spirit. The very opposite of scattering, destroying. Look at our world today. Rampant scattering. I mean, just just the political sphere alone, scattering. Um, there's also Satan, the 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 uh, hasatanas. I think you guys probably know this. Satan means the accuser. If you're in the realm of accusation, you're in the you can see that the, the, the effects of Satan. Now, not just him, but you and I do this. Um, I've, as I've been studying this passage, I've thought to myself, gosh, I've been examining my own life and realizing how it's often the default mode of my own life to accuse. I, I, I'm, I'm very ready to, to lift this finger and to accuse. Blame, finger pointing, gossip. That's the opposite of the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lifts up Mends, heals, affirms, affirms the personhood and humanity of the person. So when you see the finger of accusation, you're in the realm of the accuser. You're doing, you're contributing to the work of the accuser. The devil is also called the father of lies, falsehood, untruth, the opposite of life. Even Paul in this text says we're called to live in the light. Now, if you think about lies, think about how destructive they are. Think about how disorienting they are. And think about how much uh, they just tear you apart. Think about how a lie has affected you. Maybe somebody's lied about you and, and, and what it's done to you as a human being. Or think about the, the lies that we tell ourselves. The lies that bring us down. Um, I, I actually know people who have been hospitalized because of the damage that lies have done to their psyche. I know the lies that have damaged my own life. And oftentimes, shame is, is, is underwritten by these lies that come, that we tell ourselves, that the enemy tells us. And remember, shame... If you feel guilty, it's usually because you feel guilty for something that you did. But shame is so destructive because shame, it's when you feel bad about yourself. And that's a, that's a, that's a dark place. And finally, Jesus calls the devil a murderer from the beginning in John 8. God is life. Jesus said, I've come to have life and they might have it to the full. And the, the devil, the enemy, is a father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. 
If you think about the 20th century, the bloodiest century in the history of the world, many died. Death. And you think about that kind of a thing, and you think, gosh, yeah, it, it seems that there's deeper stuff there than just political disagreements and psychological categories. Or if you think of something like, I remember years ago I read a book on Columbine, you know, the first sort of school shooting. And yeah, it's true, there's issues of being bullied and, and feeling outcast and things like, but there seems to be just something deeper and under that, that those things can't entirely explain the, the, the horror of those events. There are, there are forces out there that want to bring death and destruction. I told you it's a heavy, heavy passage. Um, all right, so the good news is, though, we need that, is that Christ has defeated the powers. Um, Colossians says that he has made a public spectacle, spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Christ has defeated the powers. Christ is the cosmic Lord that is, that is seated on high and has triumphed. However, for Paul, we also, we still, the powers are still active at some, at some level. And so hence for Paul, we live in two worlds. You've heard that a lot, a lot in this church. There's the already and the not yet. According to this passage, we live in two, two ages at the same time. What Paul calls the new age that was begun and inaugurated by, by Jesus Christ. And then we also, there's the old age, which is still ruled by these fallen powers. Now, if you'll notice, when you think about this old age and the age to come, when you hear people say the already and the not yet, what that means is, so where there's the football in there, right? Um, that's, that's us. That's the church. And we live between... We live between the old age and the new age. Christ has broken in. He's, be, he's gathered and called his church. And he's doing the work of reconciliation. But the full scope uh, of the eschaton, all, making all things new, new creation of all of its entirety, is still future. So we, does that make sense to you guys? So when you hear already, not yet, yes, it's begun. But it's not fully complete. And we live between in this in this. I guess for me, it looks like a football. We live in the football. Um, okay, so this right here, uh, we have Christ defeating the powers. The powers are still active. That we live in, in, this, in these two realms is the context um, under which Paul's writing. This is the stage that Paul wants us to embody God's redemptive drama. Paul has already said in, the, in uh, this, this text, I've been sort of reading the text over and over again, trying to get a feel for it. In 4.24, he says, look, you're to clothe yourselves in this new humanity that Christ has created. Clothe yourselves. In 5.1, he says, you are to be, we are to be imitators of God. In 5.8, he says, we should live in as children of the light. And now he's saying to the church, this is all the same thing. Uh, be strong, put on the armor of God, stand. Putting on the armor of God, putting on the new self, I'm taking those as sort of variations on a theme. When Paul is writing this Ephesians, he has a high ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is a you know, doctrine of the church. He has a rich and deep ecclesiology. When we meet Paul, we meet him you know, uh, contributing to 
the persecution of the church, right? We see the stoning of Stephen. And then in Acts uh, 9, 4, this is the road to Damascus where Christ comes to Paul. And, and Jesus says to Paul, now keep this in mind, Jesus has already died, buried, resurrected, and ascended, okay? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, and he says to him, why do you persecute me? You recall this story? Now, I have never in my life made this connection until about a year ago. He says, why do you persecute me? But he's, he's at the right hand of the Father. And I take it that what, what, what's happening there is Jesus so identifies with the church that he says, why do you persecute me? In Ephesians, listen to what Paul, Paul's theology of the church. In 122 and 23, he says the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the body of Christ. In 2.10, he says, look, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're his body, you're his workmanship. In 2.19 through 22, Paul says that we are a holy temple in the Lord. Temples are where gods dwell. We are a holy temple in the Lord. And in three, in, and in three this is a bizarro passage, but uh, he says the church... He says that Paul says that so through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Somehow, the church is making known the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities. All right, so now to today's passage, um, Paul says, Look, he says, stand. He says stand four times. And, and, and this is a very familiar passage to a lot of people. And he mentions six items and he ties them to armor. Okay, so he says, look, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done everything to stand, stand, uh, stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes uh, for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I take it that Paul's using this armor language to suggest that, look, the Christian life is not passive, but is, to, is meant to be marked by watchfulness. For Paul, there is a real spiritual antagonism in the world, and it's against your spiritual well-being, and it's against the shalom of God that God wants to bring into this world. So uh, notice that Paul ties sort of these words to the armor. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Now, again, also in Peter 5, 8, uh, reminds us uh, uh, to discipline ourselves because, and to keep alert for our adversary. The devil walk, prowls around looking for someone to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion. 
So Paul mentions these, this armor and he ties it to sort of six, six words that are uh, sort of gifts or virtues that we have in God. And this is what I want our, us to think about and what, us, I, uh, what I ex- want us to lean into as a church. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. Insofar as we're a community that is marked and shaped by these things. These gifts, these virtues that have been given to us by God. We embody and we display and we put on and we participate in Christ's work of redemption. We're to inhabit the the victorious drama of God and Christ through the Spirit by which he's bringing fighting, battling, raging war against the forces of destruction. Um, I've never in my life been more convinced in the necessity of the church. I've always thought the church is a great thing. I've always believed in it, always been a part in it. But our world needs a sphere of influence, the church, where they're coming in and they're experiencing the shalom of God where they're not experiencing destruction, scattering, accusation. Uh, uh, Can you, sorry, put up the last quote? Here's a quote about the, the role of the church. Through his people, God is asserting and defending his own sovereign victory over the forces that are seeking to destroy his good creation and thwart his purposes of redeeming those aspects of creation that are broken and enslaved to Satan sin, and death. For whatever reason, God has chosen the church, us, the body of Christ, the temple that God is building up, to be the agency whereby Jesus Christ is waging war against the evil powers. We do not engage the powers directly, people, but we see their effects. And their effects are, there's so many, They foster chaos, hostility, exploitation, injustice, idolatrous practices, oppression, destruction, alienation, bitterness, division, arrogance, corrupted cultural patterns, systems of oppression, broken relationships, enslavement, racism, addiction. Those are the effects of the powers. This is what we we battle. So what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are we doing here? We are called to gather as the temple of the victorious Christ. That is your calling. To gather as the temple of the victorious Christ. You have a role to play. You have a job. You, 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 you are needed here. This place... When people come into our, this church and the church at large, should be a, a realm that is marked by restoration, reconciliation, love, humility, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God. And we overcome the powers as we imitate Christ. And our warfare, I dare say, is marked by. 
These are ostensibly mundane embodiments of the cruciform life. Humility, turning the other cheek, reconciliation, forgiveness, believing the best, getting rid of anger, bitterness, moving towards your enemy in love. This is how, this is how we engage in spiritual warfare. Now, my buddy Pete Diebel said, Balmer, you got to give me something to hang my hat on. So I'm going to try it, Pete. <laughs> All right. Paul says to pray. In 6.18, Paul says, Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. When you are experiencing the effects of the powers, when you find yourself ready to scatter, to contribute to destruction, pray. And when you pray, this has been helpful for me. A colleague at mine says, when we pray, we're entering into the life of the Trinity. We're communing with the Trinity. And, it, and, and we pray with God and in harmony with God against these destructive things. And also, my exhortation to you in this room is to begin here and now. Broken relationships are victories for the powers. That's what they want. And sadly, our church has a history, and we've experienced brokenness. We've experienced scattering. We've experienced disunity. And it grieves me to say that, but that is a victory for, for the powers. Your spiritual warfare is marked by habits of reconciliation. So what I would call you to do today is to begin your spiritual warfare and, and, and to put on the armor of God. And that might mean going to somebody in this community and bringing bonds of peace, unity, and forgiveness. It is actually happening, people. A person from this, from this church about a month ago came to the elders and just said, I, I'd like to confess. You know, I've said... I've, I've disparaged you guys to some people in the community. And I've gone and made amends and, and tried to rectify that. But I also want to come to you guys and ask for your forgiveness. And it was so um, beautiful. It was, it, was, it was the life of the Spirit being infused into our church. It was the very warfare that needed to happen in order to stop scattering, division, accusation, finger-pointing. It was healing, and it was beautiful. And that's the kind of work that we need to have in this community, and that's the kind of work that people need to experience when they come into this community. So my exhortation to you is, if the, if the Spirit of God is suggesting to you that you have work to do on this note in some sphere of your life. Today is the day of salvation. Go forth and be reconciled and wage war against the powers that want to bring division.
I'll close with Paul's own benediction from this text. With Paul, peace be to the whole community and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.